Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Episode 4 of Supermates, the Husband and Wife Geek Cast. I'm Chris Franklin. I'm Cindy. So, uh, this last weekend, uh, we went to the Lexington Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Over St. Patrick's Day weekend. Yes. Uh, the Lexington, Kentucky Comic Con. And uh, the show started three years ago. And it was really an eye-opener because Lexington has had some small comic conventions in the past but they never had anything beyond like a hotel conference room with about oh, yeah. maybe 10 tables i mean you know it was always uh eh, go to a little comic con you you know once you're you it takes you 10 minutes pretty much to see everything mm-hmm. well about three years ago this lexington comic con that we're talking about started and it uh it has grown exponentially it is a really nice show and i've been i've never been to san diego but i have been to chicago uh, the old Chicago Comic Con, um, and I've been to uh, Motor City and uh, the Pittsburgh uh, Comic Con, and those were all pretty good-sized Comic Cons. And this one, now it might not be quite as big, big as Chicago, but, man, it is just chock-full of tables and celebrities, and just, it's it's a great show, and it's it, it just it's hard to believe that it's, it's so close. <laughs> I never thought we'd get a, a comic show that good this close. Uh, but um, uh, the the one critique I would have of it is it is a little light on comic creators, um, and it seems like that's kind of going down as they get more interested in bringing in celebrities, uh, and and it does skew toward like I don't know why it just kind of does it skews more toward Power Ranger celebrities, which you know that that's cool if you're a Power Ranger fan. I'm not a big Power Ranger fan. That was I was like a teenager when Power Rangers came out. Uh, like in high school, so it was a little beyond me. Uh, I mean, I know some of the early guys; I know who they are and stuff. Um, and then my son, and that's, yeah, it's mainly because of Andrew. And then my son watched them, you know, the last ten years. Uh, but uh, but you know, if if you're a Power Ranger fan, this is where you need to be. But there's plenty of other uh, non Power Ranger uh, people, and this year they had a big contingent of of Star Trek uh, people, uh, classic Star Trek. I mean, they had. They had George Takai, Michelle Nichols, and William Shatner. And, uh, you know, there's only two other surviving original main cast members uh, that weren't there. So that was pretty good 
uh, Star Trek convention, and there was quite a few people in Star Trek uh, Starfleet uniforms and mm-hmm. things. So it was a good good Trek vibe going on. It was really cool to see. And, uh, you know, I have uh, never had the chance to meet uh, William Shatner, so um, I got his autograph, and uh, I couldn't think of anything witty to say. Uh, so he was very pleasant, but, you know, I went through the line pretty quick. Uh, but uh, it was a nice experience, and I got a nice uh, nice uh, classic Kirk shot signed by him. Which is hanging ice on my living room wall right next to the Adam West autograph. Yep. It, they're both up there. Yep, and, you know, along with the Captain America shield. and uh, Yes, in the living room. Yep, yep, she, yep. This, this is why I love my wife. No, it's not why I love my wife, but it's another one of the reasons I love my wife. It, it indulges my... Who indulges my fandom and and allows me to you know put it in the in all parts of the house? Uh, so, <laughs> well, we couldn't contain it in one part of the house, to be yeah. honest. Even if we tried. Uh, but the you know the the the, the kids dressed up, uh, did some cosplay, and and uh, our son Andrew, he was the Matt Smith, eleventh Doctor of the Doctor, the best Doctor. Yeah, eleventh Doctor of Doctor Who, and uh, Danny was uh, the. Uh, the girl Flash. She was Lady Flash, or Flash. She called herself Flash Girl. She was Flash Girl, and uh, we had a real great time. And uh, kind of funny story. After we, uh, after I got Shatner's autograph, uh, we got some snacks and and went out to like the breezeway outside the the main convention hall. And it's uh, there were some big windows facing uh, uh, the sidewalk. The sidewalk, another street in Lexington. And, uh, you know, we were watching people go by kind of as we were talking and seeing the people in costumes inside and, you know, walking by. And then all of a sudden, here comes this little cart. I mean, this cart was maybe the size of, I don't know, like a card table. Oh, it's <laughs> tiny. It's tiny, a little utility cart. Not a golf cart. I mean, a little tiny, like, utility cart. Uh, almost like something like you'd see. Like a, a gator, almost. Yeah, well, not even, it wasn't even that big. It was almost something like you'd see, like, that, like they, they, they drive the luggage around in an airport. Mm. Kind of something like that. Um, but uh, William Shatner was driving it. He was coming out of, and, and, and after I saw it, I realized I saw that thing sitting over by when he was signing. He was riding that thing around from, from one event to another because he was doing, uh, you know, like photo ops and things like that. And uh, so he drove by, and he had some guy from the convention, or maybe it was one of his people. Who sit- knows? Somebody. Somebody sitting on the back of it, but he was driving it. And I was like, hey, you know, it was kind of one of those unbelievable type things. And, and we were talking, still sitting there, you know, eating our hot dogs and things. And eventually he came back by, and this time I saw him from a distance, and I said, hey, there he is, you know. And everybody waved at him as he drove by, and, and he smiled at us, which was cool. But it was just so crazy to see the mighty captain of the Enterprise driving this little, you know, mini shuttle craft <laughs> down the sidewalk in, in Lexington, Kentucky, which, you know, it, it was just a surreal moment. It's one of those things you'll, you know, always remember. And I and every Priceline commercial I've seen this week, I've got a chuckle out of it because, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, I've I've seen, I've seen you <laughs> driving your little cart around. So it was really cool. So I think we're ready now to uh, we'll take a break and then we're, we'll come back and we'll jump into our uh, commentary. Uh, we'll do a little preamble first and we'll jump into our commentary of uh, Star Trek All Our Yesterdays. Calabac, Desaad, it is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. 
uncover the powers and weaknesses of the super friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Ditchwick, and Arisian, Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. Before we get started, um, I think we probably ought to talk a little bit about how we encountered first encountered Star Trek. Star Trek kind of came to me as in a weird way. I got when I mean I was preschool. I was like you know before I was went to kindergarten. I got a Mego Mr. Spock action figure. I think one of my neighbors gave it to me. I had no idea who he was. I was like okay, he's obviously made like my superheroes, and I had like Fonzie and a few other Migos. But I had no idea who the guy was. I mean, maybe I had a vague knowledge of Star Trek, or I kind of learned afterwards, but I really didn't know who he was. And uh, so he kind of just got mixed in with my Migos, and and I'm a big Mego guy, which is uh, me, you know, fan of Migos, and they were a huge part of my early childhood, and I collect them now. So it's kind of weird that he came, Star Trek came to me that way. And uh, as I got a little bit older, uh, my dad would try to get me to watch it. Uh, but I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I resisted it. And somewhere not too long after the I got the spot, Mego came back in again because uh, a friend of my dad's, he found a Mego Star Trek II phaser game, which was this huge kind of early video game. It wasn't really a video game in the traditional sense, but it was more like an electronic game. And it was this huge screen and you had this like joystick thing you slid back and forth and like enemy like Klingon silhouettes of Klingon ships and I think Romulan ships this is all just on memory would would show up and you'd shoot them I didn't know what Klingons or Romulans were but now I recognize that was the shape of them you know and uh, he this friend found this this game in a dumpster and <laughs> he liked to fix things up and the guy's name was Donald Ritchie, and he liked to fix things up, and he would he fixed it up. He didn't have any kids, so he gave it to my dad and said, hey, you know, your kids probably enjoy this. So I remember me and my sister Rhonda playing that thing, and dad playing that thing. And I still didn't watch Star Trek, but it was just fun shooting at the ships and listening to the sounds. It made really cool sound effects. And uh, Mego made that, which I, I didn't even know then that Mego that made my action figures made that. It wasn't until years later that I realized that the same uh, that was made by Mego. Uh, so my dad kept working on me and, and to watch Star Trek. And sometimes probably when I was around six or something, I finally caved in. And I'm not 100% sure what episode it was. It may have actually even been All Our Yesterdays because it was one of the earliest ones I watched. It was either, for some reason in my head, I want to think it was either this one or Arena with the Gorn or um, Operation Annihilate with the little, you know, flying parasite uh, 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 things, you know, those things. 
<laughs> so. Yeah, don't make that face again. <laughs> well, they can't see the face. Yeah, but I can. Don't make that face again. <laughs> I have to make the face to make the sound. No. But it was one of those three. It's it, apparently it was probably Channel 19 out of Cincinnati. They played all the cool stuff. You know, they were the they were the non affiliated syndication. See, I don't remember. I mean, as for me, I don't remember watching Star Trek when I was younger. Now, when I was in high school, you know, in middle school and high school, I would watch it, you know, one of the affiliates out of Cincinnati because, you know, I lived out in the sticks. So we had five channels, you know, we had the big three and then we had PBS and then we had, you know, the affiliate out, you know, which is Channel 19. And they would play on Saturdays, they would play like six hours worth of Star Trek. They just put it in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was on and... You know, it was something that me and my dad could agree on, so there you go. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's kind of, you know, I remember Channel 19 out of Cincinnati, I'm pretty sure it was them, they would play Star Trek at least an hour of it every Saturday, like, in the, like, early evenings, like, around 5 o'clock or something like that. Uh, I think it was more like early afternoon. Well, they may have, I mean, but this might have been at a different time. This was, like, early 80s, I remember. Oh, this was, I'm thinking, like... Middle school, high school, so late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Um, so. But in the early 80s, they play it, like, on Saturdays, because I remember that's that seemed to be, like, you know, that kind of became the time to watch Star Trek. It was Saturday around 5 o'clock. So right before my mom would come in from work, she used to almost always work on Saturday. And I remember me and Dad and, and Rhonda usually sitting down watching it. And uh, and so it was almost like it was a new show, you know, because it was on a, once a week at a regular time, right. you know. And and uh, that's where I really watched it, and, and from there, I, I, uh, you know, the movies were coming out. I missed Wrath of Khan, uh, even though I was probably into Star Trek when it came out, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go to the movies for that. And uh, but by the time Star Trek Three rolled around, um, uh, me and Dad went, and uh, I had heard that you know Spock died in two, so I was kind of prepared. I had the comic books. I was starting to get the DC comics, and Spock was dead in in those books, and. Uh, uh, we went and saw Star Trek three, and 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 uh, I'll, it's one of those things I'll never forget. Every time I watch Star Trek three, in the sequence where they blow up the Enterprise, I'm like, I can remember that part being in the theater with my dad, and when the ship blows up and you see it like careening through the sky while Kirk and them are looking up at it, my dad very quietly uttered, "Damn." And I still, and I still, you know, he had watched Star Trek for years. He couldn't believe they blew the ship up, and I couldn't either. I was just like, "Oh my God, they killed the Enterprise!" And uh, you know, it, it, it's I could I, we watched it just a few weeks ago, and I mean, it just it just it's this weird it's, surreal moment. Yeah, here. surreal moment where I'm like, I can I'm I'm instantly like you know eight years, eight nine years old again. I'm sitting in that theater seat with my dad beside me, and uh, it's it's just really it's really wild. And uh, and then we went and saw um, Star Trek Four when it came out. Me and him did. I didn't get to see Five. I was too deep in Batmania that year. Uh, and and I like Five. I'll, I will say I like Five. It's got ever you know it gets beat up a lot, uh, but I like Five. Uh, and you and me went and saw Star Trek Six. That was mm-hmm. one of our first uh, dates out of town. Right. Well, first we went to the big to Lexington, Lexington again. We went to the big city. And saw Star Trek uh, Six the day it came out, uh, but now you got more. You, if I remember right, you got into like the next generation more than I did. You enjoyed watching it. 
Uh-huh. Uh, and again, that was just a honestly a question of access because it was on. It was one of those shows. It was on, and you've got okay. You can either watch another episode of Night Court, or you can watch Star Trek: The Next Generation. And being <laughs> the good little geeky girl that I am, pick Star Trek. Yes, it was Next Generation, but you know, right? Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll just freely admit I have never. I like the Next Generation. I will watch it, but I never became a fan of it. Really, I mean, I've I watched. The, I never, we never did see Nemesis, but we've seen the other movies, uh, and I've heard you know other people. Well, Nemesis, is, Nemesis isn't that bad. You should try it. And I really need to watch it. It's just been one of those weird things I've just never gotten around to it. But uh, I, I, I just there's just something about there's something that was missing uh, out of Next Generation on from classic Star Trek, and I think it's the humanity of the characters. I, I think. Uh, you know, my opinion and things I've read, you know, Roddenberry's vision kind of, I think he kind of changed between the time he created the show and between the time he created Next Generation. And uh, he, he is... Well, if you notice, a lot of the Next Generation storylines are the original series storylines done again in a more... Let's solve things peacefully rather than Kirk's method of shoot them first and ask questions later. Right. I mean, it's basically, if you look at it, it's the same storylines again. Without the cowboy diplomacy type. Exactly. But that's the part I liked. And, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the part, the adventure part of Star Trek is the part that appealed to me. Uh, I think it's because I am a superhero fan. That more, that larger than life heroic nature of Kirk uh, Do you think maybe more intellectual people like Next Generation more? That might explain it. Now I'm just taking think, a dig at I think you. more boring people like Next Generation. Oh, better. dude. <laughs> uh, nice. we just, now we're going to get lots of letters. You jerk. You know, uh, I'm just digging at him, guys. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to get letters because I just said boring people like the Next Generation. Now, uh, you know, there's. And, and, and I'm not one of these people you can't like the Next Generation. If you like original Trek, I don't believe that. You you can like both, and I do like them, but there's no comparison between the two. I mean, there's no competition. Next Generation is a nice, is a good TV show, well written, uh, well acted. Better production values. No, I, I don't know. Now you watch some of these Next Generation episodes mm-hmm. now, and their effects to me, in many cases, look worse, hold up worse. Than the 60s Star Trek. And I'm not talking the ones they've remastered and redone with a CGI Enterprise, which I you know, understand look pretty nice. I'm talking the original as broadcast effects. There was one the other day I was watching The Next Generation where Geordi and, and Data were in a, a shuttlecraft going through some wormhole, and it looked like crud. I mean, it looked like something. I mean, I'm sure it looked good in 19. 19- 90, but it holds up horribly now. So the cardboard sets from the original Star Trek are better? Yeah, because they're real. I mean, they might be made of cardboard, but they're physical. They're there. I mean, it's, <sighs> it's, it's, it, that's my opinion. I, I don't, uh, okay. I, I don't, uh, I just don't think that they. If we don't get onto the episode, this poor thing's going to be like two and a half hours long. <laughs> we need to get focused here. Okay, so we're going to watch Star Trek episode number 78, All Our Yesterdays, which is actually the second to last episode produced and aired. So we're almost at the end of the series in the 
much maligned season three, which, you know, isn't nearly as bad as people say it is. Well, there's some gems in there, like, you know, All Our Yesterdays. And the Tholian Web. Mm-hmm. And Spectre of the Gun. And the Savage Curtain with Space Lincoln, you know. How many episodes were there in season three? Oh, sh- you would ask me that. I don't know off the top of my head. I don't have stuff right here to, to, to figure it out, but... Season three, just real briefly, uh, a lot of people give it crap because uh, Roddenberry wasn't as involved, and uh, a guy named Fred Freeberger was uh, the main producer, which Roddenberry wasn't. He was the executive producer, I think, like pretty much from, I think, midway through season one. He kind of stepped down, and but he was he was still more involved in those ex- executive producer. He was producing a movie during this season and just wasn't around nearly as much. Uh, but uh, and the budget got cut and it got put in a crappy time slot. Uh, but uh, it, I mean, there's still some great episodes like this one. So uh, we'll we will talk about it shortly. We've got our uh, DVD. Uh, I've got the original Star Trek DVDs uh, that come in the little funky plastic cases. Uh, this is disc six. It's got uh, Sulu on it, and we're going to queue it up to. Uh, all our yesterdays. We've got the screen, the the main view screen up with the episode, and so it's seventy eight. All our yesterdays, and it's going to do that funky thing where it turns around the bridge, and now we're over by uh, I don't know whose station that is. It's on the other side of the door. It's the fill in station, I guess. <laughs> random random red shirt person. So that will die soon. That's right. So now we're going to hit play. And here we go. Oh my, dead air. Dead air, bad. So the Enterprise is approaching Sarpedon, uh, whose star, whose son's getting ready to go Nova, and they're trying to figure out where all the people went because they scanned the planet and can't find anybody. <laughs> And now the three guys are beaming down. Yep. Still have yet to figure out, I'm sorry, but where the captain goes on all the away missions, I mean, if he gets killed, I mean, and then the second in command gets killed, and then, you know, (laughs) that makes no sense. But you know Scotty's got to be going, I'm going to get a promotion soon, you know. (laughs) Says every time, Spot goes with Kurt. So... And then, you know, occasionally Scotty goes, so Sulu's like, hmm, I'm next, you know. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I'm sorry, but our six-year-old daughter does it better. Does it better. George Takai, yeah, she she kind of does. It's kind of weird. So here they meet uh, Mr. Atos. Which, if you look at it spelled out, it's A2Z. So, perfect name for a librarian. Right. I can relate to that. I'm actually a children's librarian in my day job, so. Yep. So Mr. Atos is he's, he's very cryptic. Uh, they can't get any straight answers out of him. They're like, "Where'd everybody go?" And well, they went where they wanted to go. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, but if he told them, then they wouldn't have had an episode. So he had to be cryptic, right? And, you and, know, the typical answer is the why is he cryptic? Because it's in the script, right? Exactly. And I mean, uh, you know, if if. Uh, you know, if if Mr. Atos was perhaps a younger man, maybe Kirk would have roughed him up and got the answers out of him. <laughs> Again, cowboy diplomacy. Or Spock could have mind melded with him, you know, but uh but you know, they're they're kinda 
you know they've got what how when did they how long did it say they got till the 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 planet it was in measured in hours which is my biggest point with this whole episode i love this episode except for the timeline yeah this is is this is like your favorite episode right i would say it is i actually you know the the woman of the piece is Zara Beth and i actually made a campaign which was unsuccessful to name our daughter Zara Beth because, you know, I really like the name. Chris said it was too long. We ended up naming her Danielle. But, um, I thought, and I also thought it would be cool. Our son's name is A, A, Andrew. And I thought, oh, well, we could say we love our children from A to Z. And we'd have Atos. Mr. Mr. Atos. <laughs> oh, ow. <laughs> yeah, he got whopped. Yeah. So Mr. Atos is, is looking. You know, it's like there's the mystery of Mr. Atos because he's all over the library. He's he's all over the place. So now we got the intro, which we can talk over top of because you know everybody's seen the intro. Oh yeah, um, at least a time or two. I think um, Mr. Atos, the actor that played him, was in uh, the episode uh, Red and Circuses too. That's the uh, that's the uh, uh, Roman gladiatorial battles on TV. It's oh like a, yeah, it's like yeah, a spoof yeah. of television. Gotcha. You know. <laughs> Ron Burry was ahead of his time there because, uh, you know, it's basically like reality TV before there was reality TV. Oh, which is... Oh. <laughs> you can just feel your brain leaking out of your ears. Ah, <laughs> uh, so... The, uh, the third season credits, it's kind of... You always know you're in the third season because the credits are... The text in bl- is in blue instead of yellow. So and you can always tell you're in season two because... It's in yellow, and DeForest Kelly's added, and DeForest Kelly is Dr. McCoy's in, in the credits for season two and three, but two, they're yellow, th- three, they're blue. So there you go. All our yesterdays. And Mr. Atos is uh, being, you know, again, being very cryptic. They're trying to well, get and some... they're not asking the right questions, you know? No, well, they're, they're not really, really pushing him. I mean, you know, Kirk's actually being kind of leisurely. I've seen him get a lot more worked up over less, you know, um, you know, less in a less stressful environment. I mean, they're trying to make sure all these people are off this planet uh, before it goes, you know, boom. But it kind of makes you wonder, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, you know, you can't hardly do a Star Trek episode without talking about the prime directive uh mm-hmm. you know are they violating the prime directive by even interfering with this planet i mean you know in some of the next generation episodes you get the impression that they have s- so strictly followed the prime directive that they you know watch planets well, they watch planets explode you know i mean they're like well that's what naturally happened so we're gonna let you know everybody die i mean you know it's <laughs> i mean obviously these people are fairly advanced although they said they didn't have i guess didn't have space Any travel space travel didn't yet. have space yeah. travel but, but they had time travel. You just spoiled the episode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but yeah, you know that's so. So you know, is is uh, I always wondered would you know if Captain Kirk had come to Krypton before <laughs> it exploded, what would he? <laughs> well, if he'd come to the animated series Krypton, he would have convinced Brainiac to destroy himself. Oh, and then, well, Kry- yeah. then Krypton would have lived, since Brainiac was responsible for Krypton's destruction in the animated series. So here we get, this is kind of a nice little, you know, forward thinking on Star Trek's part. A lot of times you'll see the little yellow and red, little almost like little floppy disks 
they used, which seems a little out of place. And here's more like a CD, which I guess is kind of outdated in a way too. But it's still yeah, yeah at this point. It, but still, but still, it's it's pretty forward thinking. I mean, you got a little, and it's kind of cool how the little pictures appear on it. And you'll see in a little bit. I think it's funny that you know Mr. Atos tries to take Kirk's hand, and he's like, uh, "Dude, no, don't touch me." Yeah. <laughs> There'll be no, you know, if you're a woman, it'd be a different story, but no. Oh, yeah. If he was a woman, can you imagine all the, if it was Mrs. Atos and all the different women, Mrs. Atos, that were running around? Oh, Kirk would be happy. There'd be a scene of him zipping up his boots later. <laughs> oh, Chris. It's in that one episode. Wink of an eye or whatever. They, Kirk's putting his boots back on and, like, the chicks. Okay, now look, look. This, you look at this. This looks like. The Old West. When you're looking, when Kirk is looking at the little view view CD or whatever it is, yeah, it looks like the Old West. Yeah, it does. Just then, it almost looked a little colonial, mm-hmm. which is still a little too too late, right? For when they're at, because they're they're. You know, you're talking like colonial another. would be 1750s up through the. This looks more like the 1600s when he mm-hmm. goes back. I mean, that's obviously not on Earth. Right, But right. it looks like, and it looks more, even though they speak, the woman's got a Cockney accent, it looks more like France because they were dressed almost like musketeer type. Oh, well. Uh, the, the guards are and stuff. This, uh, you know. It's what they had in storage. Apparently the computer and stuff here is a reuse. A lot of the Tavacron is a reuse of uh, uh, that looks kind of westerny there. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the buildings looked a little colonial, coach. I'll say. So he just heard the scream, and of course, Kirk hears a woman. He goes running. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool effect. And now he's you know in a Three Musketeers movie. It's like what wow, the crap? What did I do? And they're like, "Oh, we're gonna help him." Now here's the part that here's the here's my question. Mm-hmm. Kirk. Was reading the disc that had the well, we'll say the the sixteen hundreds type, you know, uh, era. And right by the doorway. Right by the doorway, he was in in that reader, and he heard the woman scream, and he went through. Now, Bones and Spock were using the reader on the wall by the file cabinets or whatever you want to call it, and they ran through and went back into the ice age that they were looking at. So the Tavacron is apparently pretty smart because it knows what you were looking at and sends you to the appropriate right, time. Right, but if they had multiple readers, which it looks like they did on each um, row, yeah, how would you be able to figure out who goes into what, you know, if you had a bunch of people running? I'm, I'm sorry, the librarian's brain in my psyche is just flipped out about the lack of organization. <laughs> they didn't have the Dewey Decimal System. I <laughs> So Kirk is a pretty adept at a with a foil, uh, mm-hmm. d- just like Sulu. Exactly makes you wonder if that's his sparring partner. Yeah, maybe maybe Sulu gave him some lessons. Uh, so you know, Spock and Bones are so they think correctly. It's like let's heat this rock, uh, which they've shown before, uh, and the the phasers don't work, which. We're not sure why. <laughs> yeah, why don't the phasers work? Because later all of McCoy's medical doodads work. And I'm sorry, but this woman, woo! Oh. She fell down the ugly tree and got hit with the ugly stump and just, oh! I, I think a lot of it's the, her actions, her makeup, and her accent. Uh, if you think about it, she kind of looks like a hard Gates McFadden, Dr. Crusher. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's just no. She's no. got some similar facial Have you features. Have seen her nose? 
Well, besides the nose. I mean, you could slice cheese with that nose. <laughs> she looks a little bit, okay, she looks a little bit like a cross between uh, Agnes Moorhead from Bewitched and Gates McFadden. <laughs> oh, that's nicer. <laughs> And you even said that you thought the Cockney Lady Thief is scary. Oh, she is scary. I, uh, we'll get to the part where she's really scary later. But, uh, so, you know, Kirk's trying to figure out, you know, what... Now, I know I just came through this wall, but he can't... He can't figure out where they're, where they're at, uh, what what's happened. He obviously realized... I keep thinking, I wonder when they were filming this, because if you look where she's moving and trying to get Kirk to come with her... Her dress is off on her shoulder. Several times here, it looks like they almost had some boob slippage here. Some nipple slippage. Uh-huh. Some nipplage. <laughs> I kept, I mean, I bet you they did during filming, because it keeps looking like it's going to want to pop out. Yeah. So. yeah. I don't think anybody was really wanting that. No. <laughs> so, you know, now, you know, superstitious... Uh, primitive folk are getting freaked out because you know he's talking Hearing to the voices he's talking to spirits on the other side of the wall and it helps so much that his name is bones right right he's he's conversing with the dead <laughs> and now oh gosh we're we're cold we're cold yes boy is always worried about being cold it's cold yeah star trek six yeah in a little bit there's there's some scenes in here that are very similar to Scenes in Star Trek Six. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they're, of course, it doesn't take them long. They're, you know, these guys have this. This is being third season. They've they've been around the. They've been through some crazy crap before. They've been displaced in time before. They 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 kind of suss things out pretty quickly. That they got to find the door uh, to get back through. You know, it's not like they're totally shocked by this, which is good. I mean, when. When they when they act shocked about things they'd encountered before, it kind of took you out of the episode. It's like, wait a minute, you know, like three episodes ago, this happened. You right. know, it's like, why are you like every time they come to a planet that's Earth-like? You know, why are they freaked out? I mean, after Miri, they should have been like, oh, it's another Earth-like planet. Mm-hmm. You know, they developed like well, apparently this one developed quite a bit like Earth because this looks, <laughs> it sure does look like, you know, like I said, a freaking three months. Which years. we will address later. It developed like Earth because A.C. Crispin, in her two novels, Yesterday's Sun and Time for Yesterday, addresses that whole fact. Yeah. So, we're going to get to that. In of a course, bit. we you know that's not officially canon. None of the Star Trek novels are, but. But anyway, just <laughs> but it, saying. But it does kind of fill in some gaps. That's good. Because I was really excited when I have been wanting to read these novels. Because, like Chris said, I, this is one of my favorite episodes. And I've been wanting to read these, but I just haven't found them or found them for a price I wanted to pay. When we went to the Comic-Con last week, I picked up both of the novels. And it was only, you know, five bucks for both of them. So I was happy with that. Oh, yeah. Now, here's here's something that I have a problem with. Okay. Spock lives on Vulcan, or is from Vulcan, yeah. and which has high temperatures. Yeah. You would think that he would actually be more affected by the cold... Than McCoy would. Mm. Because you think about it. But Vulcans are just tougher. They're like superhumans. But I'm, you think about that. What are you conditioned for? What can you deal with more easily? And to me, it seems like the cold would affect that. And there's actually, in like, um, in the Crispin novels, it even says that, you know, Spock's like, I always feel a little cool around here, you mm. know. 
because he was used to Vulcan where it's, what, like 120 degrees usually or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think there's even an episode where they talk about how bones adjust the temperature in the in its or the temperatures in its quarters or something is adjusted because you know because of his you know used to the vulcan conditions and they have a little you know one of their little spats back and forth uh so we saw zarabeth there uh of course we don't know who she is covered yet. In fur, she's covered yeah. in fur don't know if it's female or male don't know if it's female or male she could be the you yeti know, she could be the yeti she kind of looks like the big dude from star trek six which that scene where where Bones falls down and Spock helps him up is very similar. And Bones says, you know, basically, leave me here. And uh, that's very similar to a scene in Star Trek VI, except it's Kirk and Bones. But Mm -hmm. poor Bones just can't handle the cold. You know? (laughs) For an old country doctor, he just, you know, he's he's not so tough, I guess. (laughs) Now, okay, the phasers don't work, but look. Tricorder does. And tricorder the, the, and the little do-witchy. The medical you know. do-daddy thing does. Yeah, that he's using with the tricorder. I think the cave's a really good set. It, oh, it is. And it's large. And it, they did this really well. It I looks... Wonder. And there's and the, the, the ceiling's varied. It's not... Um, you know, it's not... Uh, Ooh, here we go. Wait a minute. Reveal. The money shot. She's pretty. And he's like, oh, hey. Hey, did Spock's ears just perk up? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Marriott Hartley, um, who's she's kind of one of those actresses that's like you know her and she's famous, but it's not for one particular thing. Um, she's kind of like a you know character actress that that is is fairly well known. Um, she spent a decade doing uh, Polaroid commercials with James Garner. Uh, so that's what a lot of people know her for, from, and uh, where she basically, it, it was like she was his wife, and a lot of people thought they really were married, but they weren't. I think that's, I read on IMDb that she used to wear a shirt that says, I am not James Garner's wife. <laughs> <laughs> what would be so bad about that? <laughs> I'm sorry, he's pretty. Yeah. I always like, I mean, I don't think he's pretty, but I always like James Garner and everything, <laughs> Rockford Files, Maverick, all that stuff, and so, but, uh Spock's. Uh, we get a little preview of uh, old Spock here uh, from the from the Abrams movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's got white hair and he's in the he's in the Arctic. <laughs> yeah, he's on a frozen planet. <laughs> he's in a cave. <laughs> There's some some parallels to some later Star Trek yeah, mo- movies. Yeah, that's true. Some, I mean, yeah, she thinks she's going. She thinks she's going insane because she's been there, been there so long. Kind of like a whole mirage. You see what you want to see, which is just somebody, anybody. Right. Another IMDb factoid: Marriott Hartley's uh, grandfather was a famous psychologist who did not believe in hugging or embracing. Nut job. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's kind of ironic she's playing a character who is so desperate for you know human contact. Well, I mean, we, when we were researching for this episode, you even come upon the fact that her, wasn't it her father? Yeah. Committed suicide. Right, right. And, I mean, she even went on later to, uh, I don't know if she founded a charity or right. was the spokesman for a charity to help prevent suicide. Right, she's a big uh, advocate for anti-suicide um, charities. Now, McCoy's looking, uh, oh, now we're back to Kirk in the... Uh, in, in the, the dungeon. The dungeon set. The dungeon set here reminds me of a Hammer movie. 
Mm-hmm. Like a like a not the the uh, the '60s Hammer movies where they really went with the saturated color. Um, you know, this this could easily be out of a Frankenstein or Dracula film. Ooh, look, it's the Quaker Oats fan. Yep, that's right. <laughs> this this guy always, for some reason, always made an impression on me. He was kind of he was he was just one of those guys that just he he looked he really looked like he belonged in that time period. Even though, oddly enough, we find out he really doesn't. Uh, spoiler! Spoiler alert! Um, he's he's just got this really strange look. I don't know what this guy's been in besides this, but he always, when I was a kid, this he, he stuck out in my mind for some reason. It's because he was such a he, he. He's not the type of person you usually see on Star Trek. I think he must be a character actor too, because he just his face looks familiar to me. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think to IMDb this guy. Um, but uh, I'm sure plenty of people will, you know, and I will later, too, uh, afterwards. Because, I mean, it's just one of those things you're just kind of like, um, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk's trying to, you know, explain, you know. What's, explain his way out again. Yeah. You know. He can't make him, he can't talk to him and make him explain. Oh, he just oh. mentioned the library. And he's like, da, da, da. So, obviously, this guy knows about the library. And so now both parties have met people that were abandoned or mm-hmm. that went to the past. Right. He went to the past, uh, fled it. Willingly. The, willingly. And here's where the, here's where Hagatha gets real creepy. <laughs> He's telling her, shut up, woman. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, she, she could be in a, yeah, she definitely could be in a hammer flick. This guy's familiar too. Uh, he's the jailer. Yeah, he looks like uh, you know he right there. He looks like Mike Myers as Wayne from Wayne's World. I thought he looks like Mo from the Three Stooges. Uh, yeah, <laughs> with long hair. Listen, shot ahead. He called it bones. <laughs> he does though. <laughs> a little bit. I was thinking he looked like Mike Myers there for a minute, and like his Wayne's World wigs, like you know. And uh, he was, he had to be on something like. His face is familiar. He's probably like a thug on Batman, or, or some such. Yeah, yeah, he's probably one of the one of the main thugs that had a talk that has had a speaking uh, speaking role. He ain't he ain't having none of this. He's he's getting out of there before Kirk implicates him in you know witchcraft and and all sorts of stuff, and he might get hanged. So, yeah, here comes a creepy. Super creepy part. Now there's one chick Kirk got stuck with that he ain't real happy about. <laughs> They're gonna burn ya. <laughs> now you think about it. He jumped back in time to save her, and she switched on, turned on him. Oh yeah, yeah. She don't. She don't want nothing to do. She's trying to save her own hide. So Bones is, you know, going to come around here a little bit. And he's kind of in and out here for a while. What I always think's funny is, you know, McCoy only had one, I think, one episode where he actually got a woman, yeah. you know, for the... world is hollow and, and I've touched, touched the, the sky. sky. But he's always flirting and, you know, I mean, he's like, hey there, baby, you know. <laughs> 
But, you know, he, he never did kill a woman except for that one time, I think. He was, uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but in shore leave, he was flirting pretty heavy, too, with that, that one girl. Uh, mm. That uh, Actually, she was the the same actress from uh, Balance, same actress and the same character from Balance of Terror who Kirk's marrying at the beginning and their wedding gets interrupted. Oh, and her yeah. husband or fiance, I don't know if, I don't think they ever finished the ceremony, he gets killed. And so just a few episodes later, she's like, you know, everybody else is hitting Wow. Bow chicka, wow, wow. <laughs> I mean, look at this. I wonder how she managed to sit down without flashing everything. <laughs> you know, the the Nitpicker's Guide uh, for Classic Trekkers is a, is a great book. Um, and uh, and uh, I've had it for years. And uh, it's dog-eared. I've had it since college, at least. And it's dog-eared all the heck. And the guy, uh, Phil Ferran, who wrote it, has a ha, makes a great point. Why you know other than because this is Star Trek and all women, attractive women have to be you know practically naked. Uh, why would she have this outfit on? You know, I think he says something like, uh, you know, what what is she? You know, does she put on hoping she, to impress the polar bears? Yeah, she's yeah, and, and is she trying to get the apes to evolve quicker or so, so they can mate or something? I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> what I think's hilarious is look at her hair. It's it's beautiful and shining and has just the perfect wave at the end. I mean, I want whatever hair product she's using. You know, <laughs> it's all that hot. It's that natural spring and hot steam. That's you know. Oh, it's, I guess so. It's, you know, uh, you know, Spock's not thinking clearly. He's starting to suss out that he's you know not. Uh, He's, that he doesn't have his uh, thinking cap on. There's something muddling his brain. You know, I, I can I can kind of figure out what it is, but uh, it's not. That's not supposed to work on him. <laughs> Look how high that. I mean, it's literally cut up. She's throwing a showing a lot of fire, man. <laughs> I mean, but now apparently they had uh, her original outfit showed her belly button, and uh, I think I read this in the Star Trek Companion. Uh, Compendium, sorry, Star Trek Compendium uh, by Alan Asherman. Uh, and uh, it, her outfit originally was supposed to show her belly button, and network censors uh, vetoed that. Of course, they wouldn't let Jeannie show her belly button mm-hmm. back then. And uh, so when uh, Roddenberry did, he, he tried to launch several different sci-fi shows in the 70s, and Marriott Hartley was in one. I haven't ever seen it, but it's called Genesis 2. And uh, I think Brian uh, Palatoy was talking about that on... Uh, Platt Stallions once said it was pretty good. I think it's out on Warner Warner Brothers Archives. Got it out now, but uh, but in that pilot they gave her two belly buttons. She was like an alien or a mutant or something. She had two belly buttons, I guess, kind of as for Roddenberry to kind of flip the bird to sense yeah. <laughs> her. Okay, now I can give her two belly buttons. <laughs> now here she's telling them, you know, that they can't ever go back. That they've been changed, and you know. They are stuck back in the past. I mean, I am surprised that Spock's like, yeah, nope, can't go back. Yeah. So, you know. Bones kind of, this is the first time Bones kind of, Bones kind of goes in and out here, you know, for a while. Yeah, and and now, you know, now Bones is, uh, you know, getting on Spock for, you know, what you know, what's up with you, Spock? You know, you normally would have been out, you know, finding Jim and we would have already been being back up to the ship and you know, Spock's just, you know, taking 
Is there a best word for it that they can't go back? Which, again, is very unspock-like. Yeah. So, so I was wondering, I, I noticed this as we've watched other episodes, but especially in this one, did Spock call Jim more? Did, I mean, did he call him Jim more than Captain Moore in this season? Um, I think, I don't, I don't really think so. I think, you know, other than the, like the very earliest episodes where they were really kind of fumbling through what they wanted to call things like Vulcans or Vulcanians and, and they couldn't decide the, the Federation wasn't quite the Federation, it was like United Earth, blah, 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 and, you know, United Spaceship instead of Starship and all that. I, I think it's, you know, been fairly consistent that Spock would occasionally call him Jim. Now, he may, as time progressed, called him Jim more often, but I think, you know, he called him Jim pretty early on. Maybe it's just as time went on, they were a little more familiar with each other. I don't know. It just seemed like it was more, you know, Jim more than Captain. I don't mm. know. It just that stuck out to me for this episode. Oh, and if I don't mention this, I think uh, my buddy Andy Leyland will be upset with me. Uh, Marriott Hartley uh, actually played uh, David Banner's wife in the uh, Hulk episode. Uh, Mary, right? Right. Uh, yeah. You know they uh, met the tragic love affair. Another tragic love affair, affair for Marriott Hartley. <laughs> well, and actually in that episode, she had a um, some kind of tragic illness that she was going to die anyway or something. Or something. Yeah, yeah. I and so seen she actually that. passed away. I watched it not too long ago, actually, by myself. Oh, okay. It was on TV, so I had actually seen that. And, you know, it was a whole wedding on the beach, blah, blah, blah. They actually, you know, they got married. Right, right. This was, so, after, this was after his first wife and, who died in the pilot. Yeah. Right. And he was trying to um, use, I think it was hypnosis, to overcome. And he was doing really well with it. But then Watchmajigger caught up with him again, and it started the but cycle he, over again. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of that name. I think she may have won an Emmy for that. I don't know. That I don't know. Yeah. but uh, So, yeah, there's another another uh, cool, uh, geeky sci-fi connection for Mary Hartley. Here's something to think about. We never see the interior of the Enterprise... Or any other crew member in this episode. No, that's true. We just hear Scotty on the communicator. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was just the the big three, you know. Right. So this is one of those episodes other than Scotty doing a voice. And a lot of times James Doohan did uh, other other voices anyway. The ship. You know, like uh, Trelane's parents and Mm -hmm. things like that. So Quaker Oats guy there has got to be wondering, you know, did he kill this dude? Because <laughs> he looks down at him like, oh, crap. So uh, did a quick IMDb search on these guys. Uh, and uh, the prosecutor, or the Quaker Oats guy, as we like to call him, <laughs> was played by a guy named Kermit Murdoch. How unfortunate a first name. Yeah, you know, you don't usually associate. It's the weedy, being green. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not that easy, being green. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it's like, we are going to burn you at the stake. That is what we're going to do today. Yay! But, uh, but <laughs> so now this guy's telling them they can never go by. But pretty soon he figures out the difference between him and them. Oh, it's right here where he figures it out. Yeah, and he tells them, you know. We were prepared and... And that comes up later. We'll talk about that later, the whole preparation thing. But anyway, uh, Kermit Murdoch appeared in, uh, among other things, the, the Andromeda Strain. 
and uh, in the film version, uh, In the Heat of the Night. So there you go. He can only survive for a few hours if he's not prepared. So that, that again, that comes up in a little bit. I hope Kirk managed to, got back his phaser and communicator that he left. Oh, wow. Then. You talk about changing the theory. Yeah. That's definitely a violation of the prime directive to leave it back in the past there. So now Kirk's being a, I mean, Kirk McCoy's being a southern gentleman. Oh, he's being a Mac daddy, man. There's two ladies. He's done checked it out. And Spock is jealous. Spock's like, don't, don't, don't even try, sucker. So I done, I done staked my claim over here. <laughs> yeah, her hair looks ex- exceptionally well quaffed in, in this in these era, scenes. Yeah. In these scenes, yeah, she she's looking. She's looking quite fetching for cave woman. Now you think about this. Now you think about this. The timeline when they get there, they say there's only I think it was like seven, 17 hours I think until the star explodes. When they get there, they spent some time exploring the library. They went back in time. Now, keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I'd paid more attention to exactly what they said, what time it was. I bet people that are watching this are like, it said what time it was, but we, we had the sound down too low and we were talking over top of it this time. We watched this a few days ago, but I didn't think to write that part down. And something else interesting is, as far as she is known, or for that Hulk episode and for this episode with Spock, well, in both of those, she is with men that are emotionally unavailable, that can't express their full range of emotions. That is interesting, especially considering her family's... Exactly. I don't know, McCoy is just so militant, too, though. I mean, it's kind of like he well, was... But Sp- I mean, I get it, but, I, you know, I think that was in reaction to Spock, but at the same time... Well, I think that's the thing. McCoy's not getting the usual give-and-take fight that, that they the little the little repertoire they have between each other and, and, and they are in a kind of a dire situation and so McCoy's kind of like you know what what the crap he was he's, Spock's not responding the way he normally would mm-hmm. and he's noticing that plus he is honked at him off at him because he does seem to just have kind of given up Here's another uh, nitpicker point. Uh, Spock talks about constructing a greenhouse. Now how's he going to construct a greenhouse with no seeds? And I think he pointed out well maybe you know McCoy's got it in his what is it, Batman's utility belt? I mean, come on. Why would a doctor have seeds in his kit? I mean, that makes no sense. Is he a gardener? Damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor, not a gardener. Ooh. Musical sting. Spock going to go all pond far on you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get some, get some music and some funky Vulcan... Uh, symbols and stuff going on here in a minute. Now, while this cave is large, it's not ginormous. Right. And Spock's just going into the next little section over. Long ago, long ago. So, yeah, he's Bones is trying to, you know, see, Bones is thinking more clearly than Spock. He's figuring this out, and Spock isn't. 
when I was rewatching this recently, it 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 uh, kind of surprised me. I forgot that uh, that uh, this segment here, uh, you know, doesn't last as long with Kirk as I thought it did. This is kind of a neat effect coming up here in a second. Yeah, it's pretty well. Where he's done. looking for the opening. Yeah, it's it's pretty well done. I mean, that, this this one's got some pretty good. I mean, there's nothing that jumps out at you that's like ah. Oh, I mean, that's pretty. I mean, I think that's a pretty actually a pretty simple effect, but it, it's it's really it works really well. My question is: is if anybody walked up to it, would they be able to do the same thing? I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like. <laughs> Somebody's leaning against that wall and ends up in the library. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously. Yeah, you know? well, maybe where he wasn't conditioned. Well, I guess, I don't know if they had been conditioned. To, well, with the people that were born back then, what would they do? Right. They just, you know, because obviously there's, most of the people are were born in that era that are there. We hear Scotty. Now listen. 17 minutes. That's at least where the 17 comes from. Yeah, the 17 minutes. Yeah, it was, I think you're right. I think it was only like three hours or something like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they, these guys on Star Trek, they don't waste any time falling in love. I mean, <laughs> I mean, with, with Kirk and Edith Keeler in, in City on the Edge of Forever, uh, you get the idea that they were back in the past for several weeks at least. Yeah. Waiting yeah. for McCoy to arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, they, you know, overshot, you know, uh, so, uh, they, I think they even say something like that. They do. They, yeah. they said something. They, they could be within a certain amount of time, but you get the impression they were there for a while. Right. Uh, but with this one, obviously it's not been that long at all. And with, uh, for the world is hollow and I've touched the sky, it's like no time at all. And like, they like him and Natira basically meet and like, Hey, you want to stay here with me? So, oh, sure. Why not? Mr. Uh, Kirk's roughing up ATOS now. <laughs> Might have killed that old dude. Poor old man. <laughs> Poor old man. But he he didn't figure with this, you know. He didn't know what about Mister Atos that he was he was packing what he's packing here in a minute. He's got a lightsaber. <laughs> Well, he's got on a ropey thing, yeah. so, you know? Yeah. Perfect Shatner shot reaction. I always remember that episode of The Wonder Years where, uh, oh, yeah, Fred, where the... young Fred Savage does a really good Kurt-like fall yeah. and the, the women, the girls zap him. It's like showing how, you know, the boys don't know how to deal with the girls and they look like Star Trek aliens and they zap all the boys and... It, it, that was a perfect uh, Shatner Kirk fall there. Now, keep in mind that Kirk has just radioed Scotty and says they have 17 minutes. Right. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. You think, oh, yeah, that's where I'm going with this. <laughs> now, you think about this. And and then they're doing all this chitty chat beforehand, too. Yeah. You know, you got 17 minutes. <laughs> Maybe times. Maybe time's going by a little bit different, uh, you know, where they're at, but I don't think so because it comes into play here later. But <laughs> I mean, so now Spock apparently um, he know, smiles. He smiled. For it's one. like what the crap? 
that episode, um, what is that? Uh, and, you know, this is where they're talking about, you know, I didn't realize until this episode that Vulcans were vegetarians. Right. I don't know if that had been addressed before or not. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know. It might have been in, like, Journey to Babel or something, or Sarek and, right. and Amanda are on the ship. I haven't seen that one in a while. I need to watch it again. I mean, I don't know if they had addressed it. I mean, this is specifically saying that, you know, they're vegetarians. Yeah, he's going to eat meat because he really doesn't have any alternative. And she, you know, she cooked for him. So he's going to eat it, eat animal flesh <laughs> while he checks out some other flesh. <laughs> you know, and he says he's hungry. He's had like, what, three, four bites? Yeah. Yeah, so the, you know, apparently, you know, at least they do set up how she did survive. You know, she was left with weapons and tools to survive. But my whole point, and you and I have talked and talked and talked about this, you know, Zarkon was a tyrant who came to power later at some point in this woman's, you know, future past, you know, right. for lack of a better term. Oh, it's an X-Men story now. But anyway. <laughs> but, you know, the whole point is she knows that Zarkon's going to come to power. Yeah. She has the exact dates. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, even if she would have to live out her life as she is and stuff, she could plant the seeds if she could get to other civilizations to make sure he never comes to power at all. Yeah. So how... Or write some some cool cave drawings or <laughs> something out that says, yeah. don't vote for this dude, Zarkon. He's bad crap. Yeah, <laughs> Bad mojo. <laughs> this looks like a Calvin Klein commercial right here. <laughs> now, I, I was watching this episode, and in the book, it talks about that Zara Beth was a teacher in her society before Zarkon captured her and sent her back to the past. Mm. But I don't think they actually mention this in the episode itself. No, they never said what she was. They just said her family had opposed Zarkon, and so just because she had, uh, just by relation... Now, now, you think about this. What happened to the old finger, you know, the little finger stuff? He goes straight for the lips this time. You yeah. think as a Vulcan he'd do a little bit of finger touching first. I'm not going to touch that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> Okay, now they had 17 minutes. They've talked for at least five or six minutes. Yeah. And now they're just getting to the, you know. Yeah, now Spock's going to take her off, and we're not going to know exactly what he does, but you got a pretty good idea. Um now, apparently, Leonard Nimoy, he had some problems with the way that Spock was being portrayed in Season 3. And uh, uh, this episode came up, the script for it, and he's like, you know, I don't see Spock, you know, falling in love with this woman. You know, why would, you know, and, and the Fred Freeberger, he apparently was the one that, that changed the, um, um, that added the bit to placate uh, Nimoy that, well, what if, you know, because Spock is, you know, back in, in the past, what if he's like the Vulcans of the past and he's, you know, uh, he's, he's not unemotional, he's not in control of his emotions. And, uh, you know, Nimoy's like, okay, well, that makes sense. And uh, that actually, I like that because that kind of ties in, it's kind of an unspoken thing. But like in uh, the immunity syndrome, when that uh, Vulcan ship, I think it's the Intrepid, gets destroyed by the giant space mm -hmm. amoeba, uh, or whatever it is, um, Spock like feels all their deaths. It's right, because the they're all link. connected. Yeah, and so you get 
with this between that and this episode, you almost get the idea, and it's I don't think it's ever quite said, but that Vulcans kind of share their psychic link helps them keep their emotions in check, uh, and uh, that's a really cool idea that I think you know could have really been explored, and maybe it was explored more, but it wasn't explored more in classic Trek, at least the as film now. It sure seems like, uh, you know, they uh, have just finished doing something. Like you said, how quick was that? <laughs> exactly. Hey, it may have been, you know, Spock and T'Pring didn't get to hook up. It's been over seven years for Spock. <laughs> His shirt ain't the only thing that's blue. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my. <laughs> no. Anyway... I do like your idea to t- totally change the subject because I'm blushing over here. But you were talking about, and this is really true, about how Ahura and Spock's relationship in the new Star Trek Abrams movies, how they could have used the psychic link to feed into that. Right. I mean, I like, and I will, I will say I like the new Star Trek movies. I know there's people like throwing things at me now, but I like them. Uh, and part of the reason is because they did bring that adventure action back to it. I mean, you might say they brought too much, and it's too dumbed down, and now now Spock's just really going to rip McCoy's head off. Uh, you're trying to kill me, Spock? But, uh, but, uh, but anyway, besides all that, I did, really just didn't care for the whole... The spock of thing was just like, okay, that's just in there just for shock value. Oh, yeah, and just for them to have a love... Yeah, a love love relationship and have it not be Kirk. And so it's not so obvious. And, uh, you know, which if it was Kirk and Ahura, that's fine. I'd have no problem with it. But as for the character of Spock, it's just so wrong to me. But they destroy Vulcan in the first movie. If they had had kind of a little bit of a flirt, like a little bit of a couple of glances between Spock and like her. Like a little glance, you know. Like a, a little, little bit of interest, like there used to be between Spock and Nurse Chapel mm-hmm. or something like that. Well, although she was obviously madly in love with him and he wasn't her, but there's just a little bit of that. And then when Vulcan is destroyed, explore the fact that, okay, now that, like, you know. Three-fourths of the population is gone. Yeah, that now that that psychic link is so li- so weak, that Vulcans are un, are not able to control their emotions, and Spock gives in to his feelings, and then you get, you know, him and her, and you could explore, you know, all of a sudden the Federation doesn't know if they can trust the Vulcans like they used to, because now they're lusty and they, you know, they they're they, not as logical. they're not as logical. Yeah. They they depended on them to be the logic logical race of the universe, and now they can't be. But uh, I think that was an idea that. You know, should have, you know... Been definitely explored. Yeah. I mean, because if if a ship, 400 Vulcans going bye-bye, you know, Spock should have been sucking his thumb in the fetal position for the <laughs> for the next, the rest of the movie and the second one, too. Right. <laughs> so Bones is going to go out there, you know, he's, you know, he's kind of, you know, now Spock's kind of figuring out that he's, you know, lost his way and he's not being himself and... Bones is going to go out into the Arctic cold. So earlier when we were talking, we saw Mr. Atos try to push Kirk back through. Mm-hmm. Uh, did he prepare, air quotes, prepare Kirk? I know, because, I mean, he was sending him through. If he didn't prepare him, he was sentencing him to his death, according to the Quaker Oats man. 
because <laughs> and if he and if he did prepare him, then he's sitting him sentencing him to death when he comes back. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't know. That's you know they're looking through the the Arctic wasteland uh, files to see if they can find where they're at. And see, they're holding hands. Zara yeah. Beth and Spock are holding yeah, hands. Yeah, that's so. That, I thought that was a neat little touch. You do, you know. Okay, the frozen wasteland. Yeah. Now he didn't holler at the doorway at the last one. So how did he know they weren't there in the last one? Yeah, he walked over to it. Did he? Did but he, he didn't holler. holler. Mm. This one he hollers. Hmm. I like the uh, the uh, the ice mountain is pretty well done too. It's pretty convincing. I thought I was going to mind meld with her. Remember. <laughs> and, and again, I say there were seventeen minutes. They talked before. They're talking after. Yeah. The that window of bow chicka wow wow is getting smaller and smaller. Hey. It both it had been a long time for both of them now. <laughs> you think for her? How long had it been for her? <laughs> five thousand years. Five, sorry, five thousand years. <laughs> wow! I couldn't help it. Wow. <laughs> you know, apparently Leonard Nimoy was quite the uh, sex symbol back then. There a lot of ladies liked him. You know, they, they liked that. You know, said mysterious type. Now I liked when <laughs> he he shoved. He shoved bones into the, the rock wall. I wonder it didn't like smash his brains in or something. I don't know. You talk about being a sex symbol and stuff like that. I mean, I know a lot of girls thought, you know, William Shatner was it, but I had a, the biggest crush on George Takai. I I, I I did. I thought, you know. Sorry about that. <laughs> and he is a he is still a very handsome man. Oh, he's aged very well. And yeah, I, I really like him, and I like his philosophy and stuff. I will be honest. When he came out, I was so disappointed. I'm like, dang. <laughs> That's a great shot of her with the yes with the wind blowing through her hair. And they have to walk back in together, and suddenly their fur coats are gone. That, yeah, where'd they go? <laughs> Did you they know? just throw them off right before they walked in, or? Now, Mr. Atos got his disc in, and he's running through, and he's gone. So he escaped into the past of where his family was. Uh, another IMDb search, Mr. Atos was played by a guy, na- guy named Ian Wolfe. Um, Ian Wolfe had a long Hollywood career, even beyond this episode. His last film appearance was in Dick Tracy, the movie, the Warren Beatty movie, in 1990. The one with Madonna in it? Yeah, don't oh, don't associate that by that movie. Sorry. Say the one with Warren Beatty in it, good Lord. At the age of, he was he was 93 in that movie, and he died two years later at 95. The thing about it, though, with this, is you think about it, it took him time to revert to barbarianism. How did he flip the switch and go back to his intellectualism within seconds? Well, I guess if you want to, if you want to go through the whole Vulcan psychic link, as soon as he he walked through that door, he was back online. Mm. <laughs> so, 
So now the sun the sun goes nova, but it, the planet and it, the, the sun going nova actually looked pretty cool. But the planet just kind of winked out right there at the last second, which is kind of weird. But uh, well, we talked about the psychic link, and you know, as I said, I bought the two follow ups that are by AC Crispin. And the first one is Yesterday's Sun, and the second one is Time for Yesterday. And it's it's kind of interesting because they go back to the... Um, Guardian of Forever. Thank you. <laughs> and when they do that, they find Spock's son. And the big question was, well, you know, his name is Czar, and they're like, well, can't we go back? Because at this point, Zara Beth had gotten killed by falling off of a ice cliff. And they're like, well, can't we go back? Can't I go back and save my mother? I know about when it happened. Can't I go back and save her? But their theory on time travel, what Spock says, is because we know it, we can't therefore change it. We can't have that. That's their reasoning for not doing that. I don't know mm, if I buy into that or not. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about that either. Now, you know, we talked about the whole psychic link, which is where I was going with this. They bring Czar onto the, onto the Enterprise during the course of the story. Okay. But Czar, the whole time, granted he's only a quarter Vulcan, but he never acts like... His emotions are tied into that psychic link. Mm. So I wonder if that's not something taught, you know, that as a Vulcan growing up, you're taught to tap in, quote unquote, to that psychic link or what, because he never changes. The only changes in that story that he makes are because through his observation of Spock. Well, I think that psychic link, like I said, it's more inferred than ever just come out and said. I mean, it's not ever come out and stated all Vulcans share a psychic link, which helps them control their emotions. I don't I think that's more implied. And, you know, the one cool thing about Star Trek, uh one of the cool things about Star Trek is that there is a lot of of room to explore ideas. They left a lot of things dangling. Uh some things they came back and explored, other things they didn't, you know. Uh they planted, well, like Khan, they planted seeds so, yeah. and they could come back, but there's a lot of episodes where they could have come back and revisit them and they didn't. You know, uh, and uh, like the uh, the Iotians in uh, uh, piece of the action, right? They never went back there. Uh, although apparently they were, uh, that was one of the ideas for the, the the Deep Space Nine episode when they did the trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. They were actually, and I heard this on uh, uh, the uh, Star Trek Monthly Mondays on uh, the Two True Freaks do, uh, but uh, they actually pitched the idea of of them going back to Iosha. Uh, in Next Generation DS9 time, and uh, everybody on the planet was uh, dressed either like Kirk, Spock, or McCoy. <laughs> so, but uh, I, the, as far as the psychic link thing, like it's it's just kind of inferred. But I, I don't I don't know. I think it's just a nice little wrinkle, and it kind of explains how Spock it, more than just he's in the past, right? Uh, you know, and that's why he's the way he is. T- to me, it's it's better to think. Okay, he's in the past, and that link's not there. That's, you know, mm-hmm. that's why. So after they bring Zara on the ship, what happens? Um, with, with the whole... Without spoiling the whole thing. Well, <laughs> can't really... The reason Spock, what happens is there is a ensign, for lack of a better term, that might not be her designation, but there is a lower class crew member that comes up to Spock 
she has a hobby in archaeology, and there's been some new photos that were released, and it shows a picture of a Vulcan child, a Vulcan cave painting, I mean, a cave painting of a Vulcan child. And he realizes immediately, you know, what, you know, what planet it's on and everything. And he's like, oh, crap, you know, yeah. I have fathered a child. It's my child. And he um, arranges to go back because that's his child. And he is going to bring that child. And at that point, he thinks Zara Beth home, you know, because he doesn't mm. know that Zara Beth has done that. Because, you know, he sees that as his responsibility. And... Kirk blackmails him for him to get to go along because he's like, um, I'm not going to give you leave to go unless I get to go with you. And then McCoy blackmails them because he says, well, you said that Zara Beth, he said, I figured out how to uncondition her so she can move back to the present. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking maybe just because they were going to come through the Guardian of Forever, not the Atavacron it, that she would No, and he says, I've got the cure for Zara Beth so she can move back to the correct timeline or a different timeline. But he said, I'm not going to give it to you unless you, unless I get to go too. So apparently at some point that we didn't see Bones did a track order reading on Zara Beth. Right. Okay. And figured out, you know, how to... Or maybe the, Mr. when he did Mr. Atos because he was conditioned. Yeah, prepared. He uh-huh. was prepared, right. So, and that leaves another question about the whole episode. How long does the conditioning last? How long had he been waiting? Because Mr. Atos had conditioned himself mm. to go back in the past. Mm. And he was waiting, but you're only supposed to... Wait so long. Before, you know, you're in that correct time frame. That's true. Mm. Good good point. Yeah, if you, if you, if you over-examine these episodes, there's, they'll find all sorts of little holes in them. But. Well... As far as this is concerned, Yesterday's Sun is supposed to be set two years after um, the time of All Our Yesterdays. yesterdays. So it's five-year TV time, five-year mission time. Yeah, it's still five-year mission time. And so everybody's still together. Now, the next book, because I don't want to spoil the storyline for you, um, the next book is set like 15 years later. It's right after, um, I think they said it was... Right after V'ger, you know, right after Star Trek. Oh, so Star Trek, the motion picture time. It's between one and two. So it's like the second, the proposed second five-year mission time. Right. Okay. So it's between um, Star, the Star Trek motion picture and the other, because they're talking about, you know, in that particular book, they talk about that they're all media darlings where they saved, saved the earth from mm. V'ger and all that stuff. Gotcha. <laughs> um, both of them are really good books. However, I think... A.C. Crispin, they were written about 15, 20 years apart. Oh, wow. And, and you can really see, this was actually her first published book. She The first one. The very first one is her first published work. It is more concise. The actual running, running time, reading time of the book is 190 pages. And it deals with the storyline. And it deals with the characters. It deals with, you know, the places and things like that. Whereas the second book, she goes into a whole lot of technical jargon, which 
I'm sure there's some people out there that want to read about the warpness cells and blah blah blah, but that's not me. <laughs> yeah. Don't care about that. That's crap. the part of Star Trek I never. I mean, I like I like it being there, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Right. If you give me a reasonable explanation of why it works, I'm like, okay, and let's move on. But they spend. Mm-hmm. She spends a lot of time in this book, and this book clocks in at about a little over 300 pages, and I think you could have lost easily 75 pages just to technical crap. Mm. I mean, it's still a good story, but I think the first book is more true to the characters, whereas the second book is not. Gotcha. Because they have um, Spock's son calling um, Dr. McCoy Lynn. Oh. And I'm like, what? Whoever called him Lynn. I mean, I never heard hardly anybody call him Leonard. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So I was just kind of like, mm, you know, so that, to me that was a, a misstep. But they, they're both really good. I haven't actually finished the second one yet. Um, the first one I finished in what, maybe a day I don't and know. a half, I think maybe? You, yeah, I think you had it. I think you had it pretty much read by that afternoon. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the next I, afternoon. I mean, it was a quick read. I read it probably four hours maybe. Yeah. So. Well, cool. So that's... Um, the two books are Yesterday's Sun and Time for Yesterday, both by A.C. Crispin. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're still and in print, but you, I'm sure you can find them. They're they're actually not in print anymore. Okay. Um, the last one that was published by of, of those was back in, I want to say 1998 was the last edition. Oh. However, they are easily available on eBay for like 3 or $4 a piece. Yeah. Um. Like I said, I got mine at the Comic-Con just because I'm cheap and didn't want to pay the shipping charges on eBay. So I was hoping I'd run into them at a used bookstore or something like that. It actually, and another thing about um, Yesterday's Sun is it was the first Star Trek book to reach the bestseller list, the New York bestseller list. Oh, wow. And it was also, like I said, a first-time novelist, so that was another thing that pushed it up there. A.C. Crispin actually stands for Anne Crispin. So this is by a female writer. And again, they gave her, you know, not necessarily a pen name because it's her name, but they used her yeah. initials for the like simple Like D.C. Thing. Fontana kind of, yeah. Right, because, yeah. you know, they thought Star Trek, you know, they yeah. didn't want to upset you boys. So. Well, I mean, some of the best Star Trek episodes and a lot of the ones that deal with Spock were either written or doctored by Women. D.C. Fontana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was Dorothy Fontana. Uh, so, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad you found them. And, and there's something cool about finding. I mean, I, lo- I love eBay. That Well, I like the idea of eBay. Some things about eBay drive us nuts. But um, I like finding stuff on eBay. But there's just there's nothing like finding something in the wild. Right. And getting to f- dig through it and find the, it. We went, we went to the Comic Con. They had probably 100 Star Trek novels set out on this table. And Chris is like, Oh, I wonder if they've got it. And I mean, I'm used to as a librarian scanning titles and reading them real quick. And you know, Chris is like, "Oh, you know." And I think Chris had been looking for like three or four minutes, and I'm like, "Okay." And I, I was like, yeah, "There it is, yay!" And I was like, I'm digging through. Yeah, yeah, there it is. He's like, "How did you find that?" I'm like, "What do you think I do all day?" <laughs> <laughs> yep, she used her mutant powers, her mutant library powers. Uh, so. Uh, before we uh, close out this part and, and say goodnight, uh, real quick, uh, we'll want to talk a little bit about the original outline for this episode. According to the Star Trek Compendium, uh, the, the original outline was very different. Uh, there was no Zarbeth. 
No different yeah. time destinations for uh, and different time destinations for everyone. Uh, Kirk was sent to San Francisco's Barbary Coast in the 1880s. Uh, this is kind of ironic because William Shatner was actually on a Western TV series called The Barbary Coast, set in San Francisco in the 1880s. That was on in the mid 70s for one season. Uh, and actually, I think that's getting ready to come out on DVD. I have never seen it, uh, but it's like him and like Doug McClure. Uh, they're they're in that one, so it's kind of an odd. Uh, you know, it's just odd to hear that. You know, if this was no Zarabeth and this, it would have been really, you know, it would have been a totally different episode and really strange. So, but uh, got anything else to say about this one? Oh well, you know how we talked about how when they went back in the past, it you know if the 1600s were a mirror of Earth timeline and right. everything else. Czar actually makes mention of that. He makes the decision to go back to his timeline. Because he's, you know, he studied the planet's history and said, "Wait a minute! Right about this time is when there was like a renaissance in the planet's history." Hmm. And he figures out it was because he went back and showed them how to do irrigation farming, how to do this, how to do uniform writing. And he says, "I know I went back because didn't you all ever wonder why my mother spoke English?" Mm. And so, you know, that was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. He knew he had to go back to set up the whole right. history, you know, because right. and that's the reason. Because while he was on the ship, he was on the ship um, with Spock for a couple of months. Mm. And so he had time to learn about history and learn, you know, all right. this stuff. And he, when he went back and applied it, that's the reason she spoke English, you know, and those people spoke English. So it wasn't just a universal translator this time. Right, right. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. So there you go. Uh, I should mention, and we brought these guys up through throughout the, uh, throughout the episode, but uh, if you want more Star Trek, uh, more Star Trek in your podcast, then go to twotruefreaks.com. Uh, the uh, Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner, the two true freaks themselves, uh, do a Star Trek Monthly Monday. They actually do a classic Trek episode and a TNG episode every month, um, and it's great. They go through the classic Treks uh, randomly, and I don't think they've got to this one yet. And uh, so uh, this this episode was not intended to uh, step on their toes at all. Uh, I really enjoy their show, and uh, so. Head on over there if you if you want to hear some great discussion on Classic Trek. So that's it for this time. Uh, next time we are going to talk about 80s toys. When we were growing up. Right. So not only we're going to have the, uh, you know, the typical uh, comic uh, fan-related type stuff like uh, Superpowers, Master of the Universe, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask, but we're also going to talk about... Strawberry Shortcake, Barbie of the time, because, you know... Big Barbie collector here, um, Care Bears, Rainbow Bright, um, My Little Pony. So yeah. those were the toys I played with because, you know, I'm, I'm a chick, so, you know. Yeah, I noticed. I hope so. <laughs> so that's it for this time. Uh, see you guys later. Take care. Bye.